0: A start on demand. on demand
1: A carbon monoxide leak triggered the evacuation of a hotel on Portage Avenue on Tuesday with 46 people going to hospital. Wednesday on the start, we found out how carbon monoxide poisoning works and if you need a carbon monoxide detector. We had a ton of rain from Tuesday to Wednesday. Some places reporting up to 5 inches, that's 127 millimeters. Compare that to roughly 90 millimeters of precipitation in Winnipeg over the first six months of 2019. And the Planetarium has a cool series of shows for the summer involving lasers. I'm Brett McGarry alongside Loren McNabb. Greg Mackling is back next week. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, July 10th podcast for The Start. It's McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is back next week. He's having a bit of a southern Manitoba adventure. You can follow him along on Instagram at GMACWPG. Kind of a
2: mean adventure in some ways, because... He was like saying he's taking his family world traveling, you know, yep. and then it was like Holland, Manitoba. <laughs> Is that how it went? Tom? Miami, Manitoba. It's like the old joke, you know. Oh yeah, I'll take you to I'll take you to Europe. Holland, Manitoba.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, the is... boys
2: were still grinning in the pictures. It was super cute. But I was like, what did you tell them to get them out the door?
1: Yeah, but it looks like they're having fun, although it's so much rain. Uh, hopefully they didn't get trapped in too much of that. We are getting some pretty crazy reports from some of our listeners. One of our listeners, Jeff, emailed us. He's got a rain gauge in his yard, 65 millimeters in Waverly Heights. Another listener in South Selkirk saying uh, five inches of rain, and uh, I think they said they had the, their powers out as well. Just pulling that up now, but 5 inches in millimeter terms is 127 mm millimeters. I felt like I was in a hovercraft driving to work this morning at some points.
2: Well, it came down really hard. It came down really fast. And, you know, after all these weeks, we've been talking about how dry it's been out there with, I think, only 90 millimeters of precipitation up to the end of June, Mm -hmm. which is one of the driest years in, in, was it about 100 years or well over 100 years? I think on record pretty much. Yeah. And so fair enough. I think once you're going back to 1900, you can just say, ever driest ever but uh so hopefully that's some good news for any farmers out there or people with gardens and and greenhouses and all the rest but the rain is the is the the good news of the day, I
1: think. Yeah, and just just looking across the street uh, at the park, I, like I live in Provence, and I look down at the the grass in that park. Uh, just in recent days, and I thought, well, it's basically as brown as it was two months ago. Like it turned green and then it went brown again. So it's the the rain, obviously, when you get flash flooding situations or whatever, that's a pain, and it can create safety hazards. Like you drive in from out of the city. How was it this morning on well, the highway? You know
2: how the roads get the ruts in them and so when they, you have those pockets you mentioned the hovercraft, the, the difference is you're going 100 and all of a sudden you hit those bad parts of the road and you yeah. are really slipping and sliding but no, I think for the most part people like our, our grass hurts my feet to walk on, it's so dry so I, I even just on that perspective, the rain's nice
1: Yeah, so that's good, so we'll uh, get more rain totals to you throughout the morning here on 680 CJOB and of course the big story top story at CJOB.com and the big, the big story yesterday, looks like some stuff happened yesterday oh. ran after we got off the air.
2: Yeah, pretty much as soon as we left and We've been talking about it for the past... 18 hours on CJOB, at least. And that's that carbon monoxide leak, a significant one at at the Winnipeg Hotel. And I think it's had a lot of us talking, and we're going to talk about this throughout the morning about what's in your home. Is your detector working? How do you know if your detector's working? What you should maybe be doing if you're checking to see things in your apartment or your bungalow or wherever you live, uh, even if you're staying at a hotel, what's in place to make sure we're safe? So the good news yesterday is that of the 46 people who were taken to hospital, all of them sound like they're doing okay. But Alex Forrest, he's the union president uh, for the firefighters here in Winnipeg. And he was talking to Hal Anderson. And it really sounds like while everything is okay, it could have been a lot worse.
3: Well, the thing is, is that like as a firefighter, we go out to these houses and we'll get 30 parts per million and we'll evacuate and we'll get people out and they'll suffer some effects. But uh, uh, I have never heard of rates this high. Uh, It obviously had to be building up for some time. And if you look at the... uh, the charts that says, like within uh, minutes, you can have very serious health conditions from uh, carbon monoxide of that high. And uh, what happened was the firefighters identified the problems. We got everybody out, and we initially thought that there was there were there was 12 to 14 patients that we had uh, taken out. And then the firefighters decided to put on their their breathing apparatuses and go inside door to door, and they found more individuals throughout the hotel as well, and they were able to evacuate.
1: Now, the highest reading at the hotel was 385 parts per million. Normal reading is 10 to 20, and they evacuate when they get about to 30, 40, and you can start to really feel the symptoms at I think it was 70 uh, parts per million, but 385 parts per million. 15 people were taken to hospital in critical condition, but like you said, it looks like everybody should be okay, uh, but it could have been a lot worse had the firefighters not gone in and, uh, and didn't have the equipment to detect what was going on?
2: Yeah, we're going to have more on that at 635 because the idea of what these firefighters are equipped with and these frontline workers might might have been the difference maker yesterday. And I don't want to put words into the mouth of Alex Forrest or anyone else, else with the department. But if you don't have those detectors on you, they had the in- instinct then or the ability then to say, OK, well, hang on. This is worse than we thought. Everybody needs to get out of here. We need to go door to door. Right. And so CEO is one of those things I said to you, I don't really think about. Like, I always know my smoke alarm's working because I burn my toast all the time. And so, therefore, I'm like, well, at least we know the smoke alarm's working, right? But I don't know. How am I supposed to know that beyond just making sure I change those batteries all the time and and, and maybe talking or having to check with the fire department, how do I know that that part, that crucial part of your home, this odorless, colorless, tasteless gas, how do I know it's making sure it's it's finding it's there or not?
1: Yeah, my dad bought me a carbon monoxide detector, I want to say, 10 years ago. And I did use it, and I had it plugged in, in the basement of the house that I owned. But uh, I've since tossed it because I, I think it had just died mm. over years. At least I think. I really, in hindsight, I maybe I I just needed new batteries. I don't know. But this kind of gives me pause and makes me think I should probably get another one.
2: Now, in the and we're going to talk to the fire department uh, later in the show as well. But I think in your case, because your building's relatively new, it might be under code for the fi- your building at least should have one. Well, in I actually place. don't
1: know how old my I think my buildings are. For fifty years old, oh, um, I, and I, I, often I don't know have the why it's been cracked. renovated,
2: right? So I feel like a little bit. A little I'm basing bit. I'm baseness on creep, me creeping you out on Facebook photos. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I it looks know. new. It looks well, new. It, well, new, but new-ish. these are important questions. Like, it, is your detector in your? Are you responsible for it in your apartment? Is it in your building? Is it in all buildings now? I know it's in all new builds. Was it grandfathered in for older builds? and for older commercial buildings. So those are some of the questions we're going to ask today as well.
1: Yeah, because I would ha- i would have no idea. Like, if I start feeling weird, I would never stop to think, oh, I think maybe I have carbon monoxide poisoning. Nope. It's not something you, you sort of no, realize you, until it's too late. you go
2: lay down, probably. Yeah. Which would be the worst thing.
1: Yeah, because if you fall asleep and, and take more of that in, that could be it.
3: This is, frankly, this is an incident that in my recollection, I've been around a little while, this is uh, unheard of. To see this many people impacted by uh, carbon monoxide poisoning, is it's, it's un- unprecedented in my experience.
1: McGarry and McNabb, Mackling, back next week. That was Premier Brian Pallister.
2: Yeah, he was reacting to that carbon monoxide leak that caused the evacuation of an entire Portage Avenue hotel. And of course, as we've been telling you, it also sent 46 people to hospital. The leak was so concerning that at its peak, there were actually 15 sent in critical condition. But as Global's Brittany Greenslade explains, all are now doing OK.
4: It was a frightening few hours and an emergency situation that could have quickly taken a tragic turn. The Global News can now confirm that all patients are out of any danger. It was an alarm that triggered a massive response from city officials and one that could have been catastrophic if not for a carbon monoxide detector. Three fire stations responded, ten ambulances along with fire trucks and the service's mass incident response vehicle were all on scene to transport patients, ventilate and secure the area. It's crazy,
5: it's uh, it pretty wild. <laughs> it's freaking me out. Some are going into ambulances and some are going into this bus. And taking them away.
4: 46 people were taken to hospitals around the city, 15 in critical condition. The majority being treated at the Health Sciences Center.
6: None of the patients uh, were, were requiring resuscitation, none of them were uh, intubated or anything quite invasive such as that but they're uh, Uh, Their their carbon monoxide levels were such that uh, they were were in the critical category.
4: Two children among the injured taken to hospital as well as a number of elderly patients. The carbon monoxide alarm was triggered from the basement boiler room just after 10 a.m. Officials say carbon monoxide levels inside the motel hit close to 400 parts per million. Poisoning symptoms are noticeable at just 70.
7: They were transported. Critical based on that reading and other symptoms, such as nausea, vomiting, shortness of breath, um, uh, decrease in level of consciousness. Uh, certainly had some concerns about them and sent them uh, lights and sirens accordingly.
4: While the leak is still under investigation, fire officials say this motel had just recently undergone a successful fire inspection. Brittany Greenslade. Global News.
1: Now, the leak was caught by a detector in the boiler room, but also key in the evacuation and recovery of the 46 people taken to hospital is the fact that firefighter paramedics first on the scene have their own CO detectors. Yesterday, Union President Alex Forrest, in conversation with Hal Anderson, credited Winnipeg's gear and our system with saving lives. You know,
3: it, it, it really is amazing. Like, this is a scenario... Where we, we see that the fact that we had paramedics trained on fire trucks that were able to get there within two to three minutes to identify the problem and firefighters also having the equipment to be able to uh, take a reading of how high the carbon monoxide is, that saved lives. So uh, it really is something that what we have in Winnipeg likely saved lives because I don't think this would have been a scenario in any other city in Canada. It's just that we have such a high level of training for firefighters and fire paramedics. So I'm very proud of our uh, both the firefighters and the ambulance individuals that that worked very hard to uh, evacuate. And we just hope that uh, and pray that uh, uh, no no deaths result from this.
8: That's an interesting statement you made there at the end. So other cities not as prepared as we are here in Winnipeg, eh?
3: Yeah, because you would have had firefighters on scene, but many, almost every other city in Canada, any other large city does not have paramedics riding on those fire trucks. And uh, that fact, that simple fact alone likely saved lives. How did that
8: come to be in Winnipeg? And are other cities looking at that? And are they maybe now looking harder at it if they weren't already?
3: You know what, this is going to be a watershed uh, uh, issue because I know that provinces of British Columbia, Ontario have been to Winnipeg. They're trying to replicate our model. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to move to firefighters on, uh, as paramedics. And this is moving across Canada now as we speak, even before this incident. But this incident will really show the value of firefighters who are trained and licensed paramedics, same license as a paramedic on an ambulance, are on scene within two to three minutes with the proper equipment, such as carbon monoxide detecting. The combination of that saved lives today.
1: Now this is uh, just a tremendous that Winnipeg is so well equipped for this, and here's an example of how the firefighters helped the people in that hotel. Sergey Bolshikov watching TV in his hotel room. Firefighter knocks on the door, tells him the building's being evacuated, and the Toronto man then quickly realized he wasn't feeling well, felt dizzy, and he had a headache. And because maybe he was, you know, sitting watching TV, and once he stood up, probably realized that. Well, like, it goes how many t- to
2: what you were saying. You'd feel bad, but not know.
1: Yeah. Like, how many times have you, say, been out, uh, had a few drinks, and you're sitting the whole time, and it's not until you stand up where you go, whoa!
2: No, not even after the shift, I find, because you don't eat properly, right? Or you haven't eaten, and I'll go home and get up quickly and have that dizzy thing, and would just assume, maybe like this hotel individual did, oh, I don't feel good, and then someone knocks on your door and says, what? What? Is that what had
1: happened? They... They, 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 the firefighter knocked on the door and told him the building was being evacuated. It had to get out, and that's when the man realized, okay, there is something up, and it's not I'm not just feeling a dizzy spell or whatever, that he's actually been affected by this carbon monoxide. Also wanted to point out as well, uh, among the evacuees was a dog, and Animal Services was on scene as well to, to provide care for the dog. dog was not seriously hurt and was doing just fine after all that. So...
2: That's uh, neat, too, though, that they do that. I've actually seen firefighters in this city put oxygen masks on little puppies when they pull really? them from the fire. Yeah. Just because, th- you know, they're part of people's homes and their families and, and all the rest. But boy, good, great work out there yesterday. So many questions I have now about CO detectors and, and what to do in my own home and what I should be asking. But fundamentally, the the good news is everyone's going to be fine from that hotel.
1: Yeah. And with a smoke detector as well, uh, I like I'm not even... I I wouldn't know how to test it. I don't know what kind of sound it makes because you know with your the, smoke detector well, or your pardon we, with a carbon monoxide yeah. detector. Pardon me, like the smoke detector that like I live in, lived in an apartment for six years now, so the caretaker always comes in and does the test for me, and, I, and then I watch him do it, and then I have to sign off on it. So that's no problem. But the, I've never had a mandated carbon monoxide detectors, so yeah, wondering if new buildings, if this is something that is mandatory in newer buildings, in older buildings, maybe it's your responsibility to get your own. One of our listeners texted saying, Brett, is your life worth less than $50? Then get a carbon monoxide detector, so I will do that, and I will apologize to my father as well, who bought me one a long time ago, and I've since uh, parted ways with it, because I think it was... It had uh, expired.
2: Also from one of our listeners uh, had sent me a note because I had said earlier in the hour, how would I even know if it was working, right? I know my smoke alarm works because... I test it frequently (laughs) with my terrible cooking, but the CO detector, uh, the carbon monoxide detector has a test button, I've been told, and I'm just Googling this now. So you can just push the button, right, to make sure it's still making the proper sound. Okay. And then, therefore, at least you know you're going to get that alert and that your batteries are functioning, which is an important thing to know because, like, I was thinking last night, I don't know if this thing is working or do I have it in the right spot? Is it better to put it... Uh, you know, in this case, in the hotel, it was in the boiler room where I imagine you'd have more possible CO emissions in my in my home. Should it be closer to the furnace? Should it be upstairs by the oven? I don't know.
1: Yeah. And would I for somebody like me, I can just, my windows are open half the time. Maybe it's not really necessary, but for uh, if, when you go through that stretch of hot weather where the windows are shut and you've got the AC running 24-7, maybe that's where I need to have it. And where would I put it in an apartment? Should I have it in the kitchen? I don't know. It's McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is back next week. Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore is here. Jeff Forte and Will Reimer, who filled in for Julie Buckingham yesterday on the news, alongside Tristan Field-Jones, who is in for Richard Clute, And among the topics this morning... And not just carbon monoxide, but rain as well. We had so much rain in the last uh, 24 hours or so. Jeff, what, how much rain did we get in the first half of the year, of precipitation?
8: Well, less than 100 millimeters from January 1 to June 30th. And so we've had half of that in the hmm. last day and a half. Yeah, like 45
2: so. to 50 millimeters. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's crazy. And
8: it's still raining. Yeah, and one of our <laughs> listeners uh, in Waverly
1: Heights, he's got a rain gauge in his yard. He said 65 millimeters. Another person has a rain gauge in their yard in South Selkirk. They got five inches. That's 127 millimeters. And with Loren and I, when we were driving in this morning, we each sort of experienced, uh, like I likened my car to a hovercraft on Portage oh. Avenue because the rain just started coming down super mm-hmm. hard. Kelly, how was your drive in from Uh
8: It wasn't bad, but there's no worse feeling than when you are sitting in your house and you thought, oh. I forgot to put the downspout down. <laughs> so, I go because my wife does daycare, and I, and when the weather's nice, I, I don't like to leave it down because the kids, you know, trip on it and that sort of thing. So, <laughs> I have to go out there in the pouring rain and. Put the thing down. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's this pool of water by the corner of my house, and I'm just praying, please don't flood the basement. Oh, <laughs> well,
1: but so uh, that got me wondering about getting, like, thankfully, we were on Portage Avenue, and it wasn't raining too hard where we had to pull over. But I've been on the road a few times where I feared for my safety. Yeah. So I just was curious if you guys have ever encountered something like that. Anybody? 40? Well, I,
4: yeah, I've... Uh I've traveled out to Winnipeg Beach one time, and I was doing a project for my class, and I had to take video, and I was coming back uh, on Highway 9 from Winnipeg Beach back to Winnipeg, and this is in the winter, and it just came down. I couldn't see anything to the point I had to pull over and just wait it out, and it's scary, especially it's so slippery. And you can't go the speed limit, obviously, uh, especially on a highway. Yeah. So it's just, it, it's freaky, man.
1: Well, then a couple of things with that. A, when you pulled over, like, were you even able to see where you were pulling over?
4: Barely. Like, you, can, you couldn't see the, the headlights or the taillights of the car in front of you. Uh, so you just had to make sure you are right over, and uh, but everyone was pulling over. Well, was... the
2: rain can be like a whiteout.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Absolutely yeah, that's a scary thing. I remember driving back from St. Pierre Jolie, which I think got uh, eighty five millimeters of rain yesterday, like in that first mm-hmm. wave. Um, and it was sunny. And then suddenly it was pouring rain. There was like this tiny but powerful cloud that just dumped a huge deluge and I couldn't see anything. Like I couldn't see the lines on the road. I couldn't see the side of the road. So I wanted, my instinct was to pull over, but I had no idea where I would be pulling over and I was scared. Am I going to hit somebody in front of me? It was horrifying. Will Reimer, you didn't get stuck in a in a rainstorm, but you've been no. trapped in uh, in other sort of stormy conditions.
4: Yeah, rain can be kind of deadly, but for me, the worst was snow for sure. I recall one time when a family friend of ours like they were only three or four miles out of town, and they had hit the ditch. They just drove straight in because you couldn't see anything. So we went to go get them, picked them up. Coming back, it was so bad. I walked in front of the car by about seven or ten feet and they followed behind me because we couldn't see <laughs> cool. where the oh the road was. You would just be driving at ten clicks and you would just go straight into the ditch. Oh my so God. I walked four or five miles back into town and they followed <laughs> behind us. That's He's the story a you can whisperer. tell your kids I know. one day.
2: <laughs> four to five miles in This is nothing, kids. both ways. It was
4: uphill.
2: <laughs> I was driving. So when I was in my early 20s, I had lived in Zimbabwe. And um, my sister came to visit, and we decided we were going to rent a car and drive through South Africa. And everyone told us we were insane because at the time, it was just post uh, um Apartheid. A lot, apartheid. And it was, um, so there was a, just a, a crazy sort of tension in the country, obviously. And also, there were like uh, carjacking happens every 30 seconds and mm. don't ever stop at the stoplights. Like, they gave us all these warnings as we're leaving Zimbabwe. So we get caught, we're like coming near to Cape Town, about a couple hours outside, and we get caught in this crazy storm and the wipers stop working. Uh, but we don't want to stop now because we've got these <laughs> visions in our head of like just. I don't, we don't even know what. So uh, for the first bit, we Ace Ventura did, which sounds crazy, but we have my head Ace out, Ventura, like their head you're out the window. <laughs> and you're like, the wind- I'm not joking because you're like so scared to stop. And finally, my sister's like, this is crazy. Like, we have to stop. So we pull into this gas station and this guy's like, I can't fix your wipers right now. But he sells us this bottle of stuff that helps the water pool on the window for, like, an exorbitant rate because he sees two Canadians. He's like, that's going to be, like, I don't know what we spent. And we poured it on the window, and the water did, like, pool, like, almost – must have been oil. Like, I don't know Mm, what it did. But it got us through safely. That whole trip we had like what we called our angels that would just show up out of nowhere and sell us random things or help (laughs) us out. But it was terrifying, largely because we we were like, we can't stop. We'll die if we stop. We're going to die if we keep going. But we'll be dead, deader if we stop.
8: (laughs) All of a sudden, my... Story of having to pull over coming home from Nipah.
2: <laughs> oh,
8: <sorry. laughs> <laughs> i Sounds kind of boring. <laughs> I've had a couple of white knuckle adventures as well, but I also had one really stupid one. A few years back, I, I drove this car, this old Sebring convertible, the Michael Scott car. Nice. Oh, oh, was right. brought, a convertible, too. And it was a nice summer day, and I was uh, going to drive to Altona to see some friends, and I left the city, had the top down, cruising on the highway, bright, sunny day. And then just before Morris, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, it's getting cloudy. Then it just started raining, <laughs> and it just slamming into the windshield. But when you're going hundred, it doesn't really fall into your car when you're in the convertible. But then when you slow down to 50, when you hit town, it just drenched (laughs) me. (laughs) And people were going by the other way, honking at me and waving. And and, and I was just like – I was just sopping wet by the time I pulled over and got the roof back on. And then I drove two more minutes and then the sun came out again. (laughs) It was the dumbest driving I
2: have so many questions about the Sebring as well. (laughs) My mom used to have one of those, a Sebring convertible. You hear that? His mom – (laughs) Bronze.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, one time I was at uh, Kingswood Golf Course, and I could see the storm coming in. There was actually, so I'm on the, the third hole. It's a little par three and about 140 yards, and I had just a awesome tee shot. There is a funnel cloud. Like I don't know how far, but directly to my right and I kind of stopped and watched the direction it was going and thought, is that coming towards me or is it going another way? So it was going another way, so I said, okay, I'm going to keep playing because <laughs> i got to go get my birdie. But on the next hole, that's when the rain caught me and I had to just hide in this, thankfully there was like this old tin shelter, uh, but it sounded like well, that's it a was a safe place to like be when that's... the lightning comes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so the place with the tin roof, yes, that's where you'd recommend? That, yeah, that's, that was, that's all I had. And of course, how everyone's doing after they were evacuated from the Super 8 motel on Portage Avenue yesterday. Uh, 46 taken to hospital. It sounds like everyone is doing fine, but we want to get the latest on their condition and also uh, the latest on the hotel and the inspections that were being done there. And for that, we're joined by Global's Brittany Greenslade, who's outside the Health Sciences Center this morning. Good morning, Brittany.
4: Yeah, good morning. Well, Loren and Brett, we can we have great news. Actually, we can confirm there are no fatalities, and the health region says that actually no patients needed intensive care services last night. Uh, vast majority of those patients have already been discharged, and the latest update we got was late last night, saying that all remaining patients were being treated and monitored. Um, but we do know that nobody needed to be admitted to the hospital, which, in a situation like that, it, it, like this, is quite remarkable. Uh, Fifty-two people and a dog inside that. Super 8 Motel when that carbon monoxide alarm was triggered. 46 people rushed to hospitals around the city. We know this included two children that were taken uh, here to the Health Sciences uh, Centre, the Children's Hospital. And uh, we do know a number of elderly patients were actually brought in to the hospital as well. Now last night we spoke to a number of patients who had been released, including uh, at least two who had been in critical condition. And one man who tells us he was still feeling the effects hours later, but what he really remembers is that knock on his door yesterday morning
9: then i came down and had breakfast by myself i started to get lightheaded and, and a little bit more and uh, went back up and laid down for a bit and The wife had phoned down to book the room for another night 20 minutes later they phoned back and said no we gotta go back i was just still just lightheaded so i sat down on the curb and after a few minutes the uh, emts came along and said now we want to get your levels too so as soon as they checked my levels they threw me in the ambulance and took me to the hospital
2: I wanted to ask you, Brittany, about that because we were saying this morning, you know, that feeling of lightheadedness, I don't think would prompt anyone or most people to think, oh, no, I might be in, having a carbon monoxide exposure or po- poisoning, right? Because it's such an innocuous symptom. And at the end of the day, there was 15 who were taken to hospital in critical but still not grave condition. Can you explain that a bit in terms of about how that works, about what was detected in some of their systems and what the concern could have been or, or grown to?
4: Yeah, Loren. Well, the thing is with carbon monoxide poisoning is it's colorless, it's tasteless, it's odorless, and that's why it really can be fatal. And you do just become lethargic. You become tired. You might get a headache, a little nauseous, a little, uh, you, you can be uh, have vomiting as well and, and, and pass out. We know that some people did have those symptoms, but you might just think you're starting to feel sick or getting the flu. That's part of the problem of why this can be so dangerous. Now, one of the key things here, not only that carbon monoxide detector that was in the hotel was that that Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service members actually carry CO monitors with them so what this means and what was used yesterday is it's a pinprick uh, on one of your fingers and it tests the blood level uh, the carbon monoxide levels in your blood and that's why those 15 people were deemed critical because the levels of carbon monoxide that were found in their blood were in that critical level um, stages and that's why they were brought in we heard from officials yesterday that they weren't expecting any fatalities. A lot of people brought in under an abundance of caution because, as we know, uh, it, this can be fatal. And that's one of the problems here. Colourless, odourless, tasteless. It it sneaks up. It's the silent killer.
2: You mentioned the detectors that the firefighters had and, then, of course, the one at the hotel. So it was in working condition and it did what it was supposed to yesterday in that boiler room, obviously.
4: Absolutely, it's uh, it's connected to um, an alarm and a monitor and it actually alerts officials as to uh, when that hits a certain level and that was in working condition and that is what possibly saved a ton of lives in this situation. It alerted officials, they were able to get inside that motel, get people evacuated, get them outside and get them the help that they needed and we also heard from fire officials a lot of equipment that was used, um, their their MERV that was able to transport a dozen patients to hospital at a time as opposed to an ambulance that could only take too so really key um, pieces that all came together thankfully for the good yesterday
1: now the carbon monoxide uh detector we're just curious to know like do we know what caused this situation to happen
4: that's the one thing that's still under investigation we do know it was in the boiler room and that is what uh the officials are focusing on right now an exact cause has not been released at this point uh hoping to get a bit more information on that today
2: All right, Global's Brittany Greenslade outside the HSC for us this morning, where the good news is everyone expected to do just fine after that carbon monoxide leak yesterday at the Winnipeg Hotel. Thank you. Thanks.
1: Bomber tickets up for grabs in our next segment, and we're going to talk more about this situation throughout the morning at 737. We're going to talk a bit more about how does carbon monoxide poisoning work, we're going to speak with an assistant chief of the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service about carbon monoxide detectors. Where are they required? What can you do to prevent poisoning? Many of our listeners texting us because Lorraine and I were just chatting like, where should we put it in our home? Do we need one? I live in an apartment. Do I need one? I don't have any gas appliances in my suite, but there is a gas pipe on the side of the building. So, does, so is it safer for me to have one anyway? Also want to give you the results for yesterday afternoon's question of the day, which is brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since I'm trying to do this by memory. I can't find the sponsor today. <laughs>
2: <laughs> don't ask me. No, I don't. You know,
1: I don't have it. <laughs> Getting Manitobans out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca. Call 204 987 6890. And the results for the question as a homeowner or resident what do you think is the best way to prepare for potential property crime? Because we were talking about that yesterday. And this was a close one. Thir- so tied at 31.76%. Upgrade security slash alarm. And install surveillance. So those are two options at 31.76%. 18.82% say, I don't feel prepared. And then 17.65% say, learn self-defense. So you can still cast your vote for that at cjob.com. We're going to put a new question up soon on the carbon monoxide situation.
2: Or grow up with siblings and then you have self-defense.
1: Oh, yeah? That you just have to learn self-defense? Yeah, I think
2: in any home with some siblings, it's just a common reaction. Every once in a while, you get a nice front <laughs> kick.
1: Yeah. Where where did you stack? How many uh, siblings? I'm
2: second out of four.
1: Second out of four. Yeah. Okay. So you got beat up a lot by the first?
2: Well, my sister's tried. She even bragged about it on vacation, about how she used to be really good at dropping to the ground and then kicking. So you had nothing. <laughs> it was like her drop and kick. And you're like, you got to go to the kick move, hey? That's how you got the only way to win. But she did win. Wow. I, I had nothing.
1: Was it like a full sweep? Just a
2: flurry of kicks.
1: Oh my god! So she would was she dropping her back and then do a bicycle kick?
2: Yeah, basically. Yeah, (laughs) and then you can't you can't get on that. You can't get around that. It's just a lot of legs going. Wow, siblings, and we're we're best friends. But you know, you grow up and you have a couple fights over some clothes or hair or brushes or whatever. Boys, who knows?
1: Did you ever get revenge for that?
2: I think so. I think you
1: should plan like a sneak it, bicycle oh, I'm sure she pass.
2: would say that I got plenty of revenge. Okay. I don't want to talk about what I used to do. Oh, <laughs> I want to talk about what you used to do now,
1: but I guess we'll have to leave that for another time. Diana Foxall is in the studio with us. She was at the scene yesterday at Super 8.
2: Lots of questions too, Diana, about this morning. Where As everyone talking, I think about, do you have a CO detector at home? Where are you supposed to have them? And we're going to have the fire department on at 845. But what have you been learning in some research since yesterday?
10: So we actually learned yesterday from the Office of the Fire Commissioner that all new buildings in Manitoba are required to have a carbon monoxide detector installed kind of as part of their electrical system when they're being built. But buildings like hospitals, hospitals, Like old folks' homes. um, Daycares, I think, too. Yeah, Yeah. so anything where kind of people are spending significant periods of time inside that building, uh, they are required to have carbon monoxide detectors as well. And that's just to make sure that the levels of carbon monoxide don't get to the point where people start feeling sick, as like happened yesterday.
2: You were on the scene yesterday outside that hotel. Lots of first responders, lots of fire trucks, that's fair to say.
10: Yes, we were told that 30 units from the fire paramedics responded to the scene. It was pretty frantic. Um, I got there after many of the patients had been taken away, but while I was driving there down Portage, there was an ambulance that was speeding down Portage, lights and sirens going, getting to the scene. Once I got there, there was a fire truck that left. The Merv was heading off to Seven Oaks with about a dozen people who were listed as in stable condition, so there was quite a bit of activity there.
1: So what's the issue with carbon monoxide? What do we need to know?
10: So the problem with carbon monoxide is that it kind of takes precedence over oxygen if you are in an area that has quite elevated levels of carbon monoxide. And of course, your body needs oxygen to function. So if carbon monoxide is taking its place kind of in the bloodstream, you're going to start feeling sick and you're not going to be able to function as you normally do Um Chief Fire Chief John Lane has a bit better of an explanation, but the gist is that it will make you feel very sick if you're breathing in a lot of carbon monoxide and you could die within minutes.
6: We get oxygen into our bodies through hemoglobin in our red blood cells. Um, The problem with carbon dioxide is it it bonds to that same site in the hemoglobin that oxygen bonds to and it bonds 200 times with a uh, 200 times more strongly than oxygen does so it has the potential to bind up um, all of that hemoglobin so it means we can't get oxygen even if there's oxygen in the room uh... in the air that we're breathing we can't get that oxygen into our cells so that is the uh... that is the big danger with carbon monoxide it's odorless tasteless colorless and it's got about the same specific gravity as as uh, normal air uh, as atmospheric air so it inter it, it, it mixes very very well into the uh, in, into the ambient air
2: I guess that's why it's so scary we were saying this morning that we wouldn't probably react if we felt nauseous or lightheaded in our in our room, Brett.
1: Yeah. I mean, there have been, I can't tell you how many times where you just kind of stand up after you're sitting for a long time and you sort of feel lightheaded and you got to maybe lean on something or sort of sit back down, but you just blow it off. You're like, well, maybe I need to drink more water or I haven't really eaten anything mm-hmm. in a few hours or whatever. I never would I think... Maybe I need to check my carbon monoxide detector.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to ask the fire department about if checking your carbon monoxide detector and or where you should have them. We know if you have natural gas or if you're by a garage or other things. There's obviously places that take precedent. But when it comes to those symptoms, what are we watching for, Diana?
10: So you're watching for things like lightheadedness, uh, dizziness, nausea, vomiting. Um, Your skin can get quite red if you've been exposed to higher levels for some time. Um, I know yesterday we heard from witnesses that there were people who were kind of the first ones out of the Super 8 who were vomiting and looked very, very shaky. So it depends on the levels. Um, It can be fatal, but that's if you're looking at a very, very high level I'm seeing here upwards of 13,000 uh, parts per million of carbon monoxide in the air, that can cause death quite quickly. Yesterday, the levels that were registered were 385 parts per million, so that is very significant, and that certainly did cause some serious symptoms in some people.
6: At 500 parts per million, um, uh, after one hour, you be, begin to potentially uh, experiencing headache symptoms, uh, after two hours, you're beginning to see uh, nausea, a la- lack of coordination, headache, uh, potentially uh, uh, skin reddening. And then they, they, the symptoms um, uh, um, increase in severity after that. And, uh, and it, it goes on to include collapse and, and, and death. In situations where there's uh, a very high concentration, uh, for instance, uh, um, in the 1,000 to 4,000 parts per million range uh, death, is possible uh, within an hour, thirty minutes to an hour, and then at very high concentrations, over ten thousand parts per million, death can occur very quickly, uh, because it's all based on how much uh, hemoglobin is bound up by that carbon monoxide. So, if in two or three breaths you inhale that much carbon monoxide in in highly concentrated environments, then you occupy all of your all of your hemoglobin.
10: So, again, levels yesterday were far higher than they should have been. Uh, Typically, a sort of safe reading would be under 20 parts per million. Um, Symptoms are starting to be felt around 70 parts per million of carbon monoxide. And again, yesterday's reading was 385 parts per million. So not quite the level that would be causing death in a few hours or a few minutes, but certainly to the point where, again, 15 people were rushed to hospital in critical condition because their re- the readings of carbon monoxide in their blood were just that high that they were classified as needing to be checked out very, very fast.
1: Global's Diana all joining us live on 680 CJOB. She was at the scene yesterday. Diana, thank you very much for this. The aggregate price of a home in Winnipeg is up 4% over last year.
2: Yeah, that's according to the latest Royal LePage report, and we want to kind of dive into some of those numbers and explain them to you further. So we're joined by Michael Fraze, Managing Partner of Royal LePage Prime Real Estate. Good morning, Michael.
0: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
2: Well, thanks for coming on. What, what in these numbers jumped out for you as something that should be as a good news scenario for Winnipeg homeowners?
0: Uh, well, first of all, I mean, the aggregate home prices, you know, going up by 4% is, is very positive news. Uh, the rest of Canada on average went up 1.1%. So we're outpacing the Canadian market right now, which is, which is fantastic news.
2: 20% of them, one in five, I think I read, are going over the asking price. Does that mean we have a bit of a bidder's war out there for some homes or is that just sort of the new norm?
0: Uh, well, for some homes, yeah. I mean, for one out of five, I was looking at last year, uh, we were actually closer to about 27%, 28% of homes uh, during the second quarter. were are receiving, um, you know, we're selling their homes for over list price. So that number has softened a little bit, but that just, again, speaks to, um, again, the, the diversity of the market. And depending where you are, um, you know, multiple offers could happen on your property. But keep in mind, it's well, 80% of them don't see that.
1: Now as far as millennials go one of the things you've cited in this report is that millennials are especially active in the first time home buyer market but we've been hearing for weeks and months now that uh, millennials are having a hard time getting into the market so what makes it so unique in Winnipeg
0: Well the affordability is is you know first and foremost when it comes to um you know the millennial market uh you know when they you know paint Canada and Canadian millennials with a, a you know a very broad brush and Uh, In certain markets, absolutely, I mean, Toronto, Vancouver, like, dear Lord, I don't know how you would get into that market, you know, as, uh, you know, being 25 or 30 years old and needing to save up, you know, $150,000 for a down payment, Uh, you know, that's a big ask. But in Winnipeg here, I mean, we still have a lot of choice markets where you can get good homes uh, in in good neighbourhoods for a reasonable price. And uh, so, no doubt, it's tougher than, hey, you know, when I was uh, buying my first home, definitely the prices were a lot softer. Uh, but at the same time, compared to a national, and especially if you take a step back and look at the global scale things, Winnipeg is a bargain. And uh, we have a great city and we have some really great neighborhoods offering, um, you know, very uh, attractive options for buyers.
2: One of those bargains might be condo prices. So the average home or the median price of a two-story home is now $337,000. The bungalow is 286000 but the price on condos has slipped slightly, about 2.1%. What's that tell you about the condo market?
0: Well, the condo market has been, it's been a tough couple of years for the condo market. Um, you know, I call this, you know, turning around a cruise ship, right, where it's, uh, you know, it takes a long time for it to turn around. And looking at, you know, first quarter, even there was actually a 9% decrease in condos. So the fact that we're, you know, just under, uh, we're just a little bit in the negative of our condos speaks to the slow turnaround there. Uh, So, yeah, definitely condos have um, right now there's more condos on the market than in the history of Winnipeg. So there's a lot of choice for buyers right now. The other thing with condos, though, I mean, the average price might be, um, you know, lower. But when you factor in condo fees and things like that, um, you know, some people will opt for to have um, a detached home uh, because sometimes the carrying costs uh, end out being the same.
1: Yeah, did we, because there was such a boom. There's been such a boom in the city in the last two years for condos, and I kind of wondered, like, God, they're 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 turning that apartment block into condos and that apartment block into condos. Do we need that many condos?
0: <laughs> well, um, you know, if you're trying to sell a condo right now, you'd probably say no. <laughs> but if you're buying one right now, it's it's great. You know, more choice is great. But what we're seeing, you know, the good news in the condo market is we're starting to see sales activity increase uh, at a similar rate as inventory. So, for instance, uh, the year to date, the end of June there, we saw – uh, the The increase of inventory about one and a half percent, but sales were also up one and a half percent in condos. so when you start to see those two numbers align, the supply and demand align uh typically we 'll see that means you know the prices will will stable out whereas you know in in past months and years uh, inventory has really gone up at a at a higher rate so uh you know depending again where you are, you may feel differently.
1: Michael Frey is joining us live on 680 CJOB managing partner with Royal LePage Prime Real Estate on this report that says Winnipeg house prices increased during an active spring market. Michael, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it.
0: No problem. Thank you guys again.
5: Intergalactic, Planetary, Planetary, Intergalactic.
1: It's McGarry and McNabb. Mackling back next week. Jeff Braun in the news booth likes the Beastie Boys and our next guest likes the Beastie Boys. But before that, Loren McNabb, let's set it up.
2: Well, we're going to bring Sherry Rowland, city councillor, in in a second to discuss the latest development into these city inspectors. As we know and have been talking about for months, we have this undercover video of sorts that was pulled by a group of... Concerned citizens who said city inspectors weren't doing their job. They made all sorts of allegations of wasting time the job, going to restaurants and all the rest. Well, an interim report was made to the executive policy committee at City Hall yesterday, and that's led to some suspensions. Here's Angie Kuson the city's director of human resources.
3: The inspectors have since been put on leave without pay pending the outcome of the investigation. We've had three staff leave that were uh, participating in the in the review. Uh, we didn't ask them to leave, but they have left. Uh, we had a handful of, um, I'll say, due to the nature of the specifics, we're not going to indicate kind of who those individuals are, but moving forward, we expect that there will be more staff
10: impacted.
2: So three have left uh, during the investigation on their own volition, on their own choice. Three suspended without pay, and they expect more disciplinary actions in the future. Sherry Rollins is the city councillor and member of the executive policy committee who was at that meeting yesterday. Also a big fan of the Beastie Boys, Brett.
1: That's right. That was uh, the request last week when we had her on. It was today's musical selection to your satisfaction, counselor.
11: You know, it was. And good morning. How are you two? We're good. We've got lots of questions about what
2: came out yesterday because it was such a busy news day. Of course, all sorts of things going on. But this uh, inspector's report has been a big one, I think, for Winnipeggers who may have had issues with everything from inspections to the permit process and all the rest. And it sounds like based on this report made yesterday that that video compiled by this uh, citizens group has been extraordinarily
4: helpful.
11: Yeah, I think it's really important to um, say that this was really unprecedented for any board member across the city. This was a verbal report at the Executive Policy Committee yesterday on a preliminary look into the, the investigation that's happening um, following the uh, allegations of employee wrongdoing and those, those grainy videos that Winnipeggers uh, have seen on their television that they find so concerning, and they're literally writing into city councillor offices really concerned about. Uh, but I think it's important to place why they're concerned in context. This is our department that is our economic development department. And these inspectors assist. Entrepreneurs and that entrepreneurship to be unleashed uh, by doing their job. And what we heard yesterday, uh, six so far pulled from work. The question that I had at EPC was one of business content- continuity, because we absolutely rely on the work to get things done, and we need those basics right to uh, be an economic engine, the the city that we want to to reflect Winnipeg's ambitions. And so that's the that's the bar.
1: How concerning is it that a citizens group decided to take it upon themselves to take this kind of action? Like, they didn't wait for the city, they just did it themselves. Like, does that raise, or what kind of alarm bells does that raise for you?
11: Well, it's, I, in my generation, a politician has seen a real radical difference in terms of governance and the transparency that citizens demand I am uncomfortable with the citizens being uh, feeling like they need to get vigilante in order to get results from government. I'm uncomfortable with that. It was unprecedented yesterday, like I said, to have a verbal update. And I think that that is because the mayor has been absolutely clear that if there is and where there is wrongdoing, there will be consequences and uh, the cao is ultimately responsible and accountable for the staff and to hold people to account you heard the human resource director and uh, the steps that uh, she's taken so far in the investigation
2: you use the term unprecedented twice now is that just because typically we wait for reports to be done before we hear of what action's been taken or what evidence has been compiled that's right
11: yeah that's right and and this was uh you know it's not often that you see this grainy video and, uh, and you know as you described, and it, the process is usually you do an investigation and the investigation is concluded uh right now we're doing it in real time almost, and that that is why I call it unprecedented it is it is uh it is different than times of old where the investigation would just be concluded and then the recommendations would come out.
2: The group paid $18,000 to a private firm for this video. It showed you know, some of the inspectors having lunch, allegedly slacking off. It sounds like that's been some evidence that's been gathered through this report as well. Bottom line, you can have the discipline. What do we think is going to be done in terms of fixing what might be more of a systemic issue as far as I'm concerned? Do we have proof that it's potentially just a handful of people or is there an actual system? problem that we need to now address?
11: Well, I mean, we we didn't hear a good report, right? We heard six so far pulled from work. We heard uh, housing and commercial properties need to be inspected, and we know that, and that there's been some clerks on one side to add to that. We heard about delays and work needing to be repurposed, and that's why I situated it at the start with... Uh, the fundamental challenge for this economic development department that's so key to economic development we need it to work it was a good part of the report where angie kusan our director of human resources detailed some of those active measures that they were taking that we will hear more about in the final report but at the heart of this this needs to be a department that's there for our business community are homeowners and generally people don't want to know how the sausage is made they just want to eat it and so that that's if you're an entrepreneur in this city uh, we need to do better and I think that's the message you need to hear from a counselor that sees you uh, that sees the imperative of your business and that sees your wait time and I am hearing from people that are concerned about that, and I expect to as the investigation continues and until we have the human resources that we need doing the job that we need them to do.
1: Sherry Rollins, Councillor for the Fort Rouge East Fort Garry region and member of the Executive Policy Committee. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate it.
11: Well, that's my pleasure. I'm also the proud chair of Protection, Community Services and Parks, and thinking of our first responders who did a wonderful job yesterday, Winnipeggers need to buy carbon monoxide detectors.
1: I love a good creative headline, and this one caught my attention yesterday from Red River College. The headline reads, Girls just want to have fun. Demental Skilled Trades Training. Red River College welcomes 30 eager learners on campus for the 13th annual GET Summer Camp, spelled G-E-T-T. So to tell us more about this, we're joined live on 680 CJOB by Aubrey Dirksen, who is an instructor of cabinetry and woodworking at Red River College. Aubrey, good morning to you. Good morning. So what is the Girls Exploring Trades and Technology Camp?
5: So this camp is a really great opportunity for these uh, 12 to 14 year old girls to get their hands on some of the tools to, to walk into some of these shops that might look intimidating um, and to really get exposure to some things that maybe they wouldn't consider um, as a potential future option for themselves.
2: You know, in so many ways, I'd like to think we've come a long way in the different careers women might choose or that might be encouraged to go into. But when it comes to the numbers and what we're seeing with women in trades, are we still at a fairly low percentage, Aubrey?
5: Um, I'm not entirely sure on the exact numbers. I know in my trade, it's it's a fairly accessible trade to females, I think because of the, the visible creativity that you can see in woodworking and cabinet making. Um, you can go online and see all kinds of really neat things that people have built with wood but I think it's a little bit more obscure when you get to things like plumbing and pipe fitting, um, maybe welding, even um, electrical. It can be a little bit more tricky for girls to see themselves in that trade. So I think those are um, growing. I definitely see more girls in the trades area in the hallway here than I used to, um, but we're still climbing slowly.
1: What are the, what kinds of the things are they going to be building and doing while they're in this camp?
5: Okay, so um, we start out with a piece of pipe that we put together with different fittings in the the piping trades shop. Um, And then we go over and we hit automotive paint shop and um, the girls get to paint their uh, lamp uh, different colors, whatever they want. Um, Yesterday we were in sheet metal working on the shade. So it kind of looks like a a Pixar lamp, that kind of shape. Um, They make it out of copper and they get to design some of the the elements of how that looks. Um, We built a wood base for it and then tomorrow we're going to be putting a drawer in there and they get to CNC a drawer front with their name on it um, over in our CNC lab. Um, Today they're actually also going to go over to robotics um, uh, welding, try out the robotics and welding simulators and then um, tomorrow they actually get to go over the outdoor power equipment shop and maybe even sit on a motorcycle and try that out it's over on the dyno so they won't be you know hurting themselves or going anywhere but um they can
2: see how that feels and this take sounds a part of motor. fun
5: yeah, I want to do Like this. I'm yeah. just
2: like, how is there an adult girls' camp that we can set up Or <laughs> I think that's called trade. <laughs> I think it's called go back to school, Loren. Uh, I'm wondering, what do you hear from the young women who take part? Like, is there one section that stands out for them? Or what's sort of one of the overwhelming comments that you get that sort of shows you that you're doing the right thing for these kids?
5: Um, a lot of them comment, you know, I didn't think I would like this, but I really loved, you know, the sheet metal. It's kind of like metal origami or the piping i love threading those pipes together and getting them um in the right spots and you know they they don't mind getting their hands dirty i think what makes it really um fulfilling for me is seeing them at the end of the week so proud of what they built and at the beginning i show them the project and their eyes kind of get super wide and they think i'm a little bit crazy to say that they're going to be building this lamp Um, but by the end, they can see the individual components and how they put it all together, and and they did it, and they're super proud of themselves.
1: How can parents get their kids involved in future camps at Red River College?
5: Um, The camps are listed on the Red River College website, and I believe uh, registration for that opens sometime in um, April, maybe. Um, So you can kind of look that up on Red River College website, rrc.ca, and just type in camps in the search bar, and you'll come up with a few, and then Get Camp is on there as well.
1: Aubrey Dirksen, cabinetry and woodworking instructor, telling us about the 13th annual Get Camp, Girls Exploring Trades and Technology. Sounds like a lot of fun, Uh. so parents take note for next
2: year. Yes, Lorenz taking some notes. (laughs) If we didn't get into what the salaries were, that could be even more incentive.
0: Aubrey? Aubrey? (laughs)
2: Decent? Yeah, Um,
5: depends on the trade. Um, but there's always a need for tradespeople. And so um, you're never going to be out of a job.
1: All right, Aubrey. Thank you so much for taking a couple minutes this morning to tell us about this. This is fantastic. You're welcome. It's McGarry and McNabb Mackling back next week. Question of the day at cjob.com brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Do you have a carbon monoxide detector in your home? So far, 75% of you say yes, but I don't test it enough. 12.5% say yes and I test it regularly. 12.5% say no, I don't need one. And so far, no one weighing in on no, but I should get one. You can cast your vote Hmm. at cjob.com.
2: That's a great question because it had, I think, lots of us talking over the last 24 hours with the 46 people taken to hospital, 15 in critical from the Super 8 Motel on Portage. Everyone doing just fine, which is the great part of the story. But again, and we have some questions about what we should all be doing. And to answer some of those, we're joined by WFPD, the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service. I put a D in there for some reason. No idea why. But are would uh, be
1: thinking like department.
2: Department. The Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service Assistant Chief Mark Reshaw joins us now. Good morning, Mark.
9: Hey, good morning. Thank you for having me on.
2: Well, thanks for coming on. I'm just going to go back to Super 8 first if we can. Have we determined yet what caused the leak or is it too early?
9: It's it's too early to say. At this point in time, uh, we're c- conducting a detailed investigation in cooperation with Manitoba Hydro and the Manitoba office of the fire commissioner. Um, and the, the testing involved in that's going to take some time.
2: But it's been deemed safe to re-enter and obviously the hotel's open again.
9: Uh, that's correct. all the, uh, the potential sources of uh, ignition have been turned off. the The gas is shut off to the hotel for the time being, and so it has been allowed to uh, reopen.
1: So who needs a carbon monoxide detective? like does everyone need one?
9: we We all need to be protected by a carbon monoxide uh, alarm, particularly when we're asleep.
1: So, so, like, uh, let's say uh, I live in an apartment. I don't have any gas appliances in my home, but there is, I believe, a gas pipe on the outside of the building. I'm not sure what it's for, but because I don't have any gas appliances in my suite, do I need one?
9: You know what? Your your building requires... Uh, it, it, your building should be protected by one because it does have a fuel burning appliance in it. And it also may have the capacity to circulate that gas. The Manitoba Office of Fire Commissioner in 2011 introduced uh, standards to the Manitoba Fire Code that uh, designated certain structures as requiring uh, protection from carbon monoxide. And so vulnerable uh, occupancies such as daycares, hospitals, schools hotels community clubs they all require carbon monoxide protection
2: so we have the misconception i think out there because we've had some listeners write in this morning to say if you've got electric heat you don't need it it's just for those with natural gas or wood stoves or all the rest is that true or if i'm in a home with electric heat should i be installing one anyway no
9: if if you have any fuel-burning appliance, if you are burning uh, natural gas, propane, fuel oil, or wood f- for heat or any other reason within your home, then you require carbon monoxide protection.
2: Is it recommended to get one if you don't, or there's no issue then?
9: There's there's no issue if there's no source of carbon monoxide. It's recommended to it's it's recommended to get one if you have a fuel-burning appliance within your home.
1: How do I know if mine is working?
9: Uh, you need to follow the instructions on your carbon monoxide alarm. You need to make sure you take the time to read them, install it in an appropriate location where the activated alarm will wake you up at night when you're most vulnerable, and you need to test that alarm on a regular basis to make sure it's functioning properly. If the alarm is a uh, plug-in type with a battery uh, backup, you need to make sure that you uh, change that battery on a regular basis in accordance with the manufacturer's instructions. You also you also need to make sure that you buy uh, CSA or Underwriter Laboratories approved uh, carbon monoxide alarms. Those standards organizations stamps will be right on the device and on the packaging.
2: We're talking to Assistant Chief with the WFPS, Mark Reshaw. Mark, we're just getting a text from a listener now saying that they wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for their CO detector. She says that she went, it went off one day, so they got out of the house and called Hydro, and by the time they arrived, there was CO throughout the entire building. And I guess it had something to do with their gas and, you know, crediting that detector for saving their lives. How quickly could someone become incapacitated if they don't have that detector warning them to get out of the house?
9: Well, carbon monoxide is very insidious. Um, It's colorless, it's odorless, it's tasteless. We don't know that it's there, but it's a natural product of so many of the appliances that we use in our day-to-day lives, particularly in our cold environment. So that alarm is vital to provide you with an early warning. How fast the symptoms come on, there's a number of variables involved, including the cause of the carbon monoxide, how it is entering your home, um, the nature of the ventilation system, and the health and size of the people within the home. So what's important really in all of this to worry about is have a carbon monoxide alarm If that alarm activates, don't delay, gather your family, leave for a safe environment, call 911. If nobody's sick, we will come over on a non-emergent basis. We will test the environment in your home with a uh, very sensitive detector. And should we confirm that there is a problem, we will summon a hydro uh, emergency gas crew to attend your home. If you call 911 and you're reporting symptoms that you're sick and ill, we will respond on an emergent basis.
2: Mark, you mentioned the building codes that changed in 2011. So if I buy a new house now, would that detector automatically be installed or is it still up to me to go get it?
9: Uh, now, the, 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 the building code has also been amended in, in addition to the fire code and the building code now reside, requires new residential construction to, ha- to include carbon monoxide detection in the home.
1: And as far as the buildings that you mentioned, like places like hospitals, daycares, et cetera, uh, who is inspecting to make sure that there's proper protection for carbon monoxide?
9: The the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service Fire Prevention Branch inspects these facilities on a routine basis um, in accordance with the uh, schedule specified in the Manitoba Fire Code. And we will... um, require that the owner is properly maintaining their fire and life safety systems so we inspect for the the maintenance and upkeep of the fire and life safety systems within the structure
1: all right mark Rishaw, winnipeg fire paramedic service assistant chief joining us live on 680 cjob thank you for this we appreciate the time
9: well thank you very much for getting this important message out to the public <laughs>
1: Playing the Stranger Things theme song. Look, McNabb just started watching it yesterday. I finished watching it yesterday, or a couple of days ago, in fact, Stranger Things season three.
2: Well, I'm guaranteeing that when I went to bed, my husband finished it, which means I will probably try to finish it tonight.
1: But then you, you don't... Do you feel like he cheated on you, if that's the case? No, I he knew Netflix it was going to happen. Oh, I knew it. I mean, okay. if I had
2: said, please don't watch this so we can continue watching this together, but it, I'm not that uh, picky about it. Okay. I mean, I would have gone ahead and watched it.
1: Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, because when that happens, then I'm just out. I never, Really? I, yeah, I, I just bail out. But it's one of the shows at the Manitoba Museum Planetarium, one of the laser shows. And to tell us more about this, we have Scott Young with us. He is the manager of the Planetarium and Science Gallery at the Manitoba Museum, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Scott, how are you, man?
7: Doing good. How about you guys?
1: Good, good. So we want All to right. talk about these shows in a second. Have you? Are you a Stranger Things fan?
7: I am. I have been holding off, though. We've got so many things going on July 20th. All of my projects at work are done. And so that's going to be my reward is to binge watch the entire season three straight through. I think it'd be
2: fun to watch it with someone like Scott because there are so many times in those kinds of shows where I genuinely cannot wrap my head about, you know, there's suddenly there's just a dimension thing and a space time continue thingy. And I'm just (laughs) like, I don't, somebody, I mean, I like this. These kids are great actors, but I don't know what's happening here.
7: Oh, it's all good. I don't know what's happening half the time either. But I, I was those kids when I grew up, basically. So, like, that, this is like a biopic for me, I think. <laughs>
2: like, you'd be dissecting codes and those kinds of oh, things, yeah, right? Oh,
7: sure.
1: yeah. Yeah, like, uh, planes constant. Do you know what that is? Do you know, or know what it means? Uh, sorry, what constant? Planes. No. It's a number that pops up in Season 3. That's all I'll tell you. Okay, it's okay not a, not yeah, a I was going to say, if
7: this is a spoiler...
1: <laughs> it's not it. a, It's not a spoiler. <laughs> uh, okay. So, but let, let's talk about these laser shows, which include uh, <laughs> Stranger Things. What's the, that show all about?
7: Well yeah, basically I mean Stranger Things is is one of the cool things is it's really about a certain time period, it's the 80s like and and there's so many callbacks to the 80s. Like I was a kid of the 80s, so for me it really is is amazing. And the music of the 80s has often been, you know, maligned as uh you know that was the time when uh synthesizers came up and there was a lot of production or maybe overproduction of songs, but there was some great music that came out there for especially if you grew up during it. And so this the Stranger Things show takes all the themes from the the show itself um, as well as some other songs that are that are used uh, you know everything from Corey Hart to um you know, should I stay or should I go, which was big in the first series and so on, um, and puts them to laser light. And uh, lasers are just, it, it's a very powerful, very pure colored type of light. And our eyes and our brain react totally different to lasers than we do to any other kind of light. Um, so it's really a, a, a cool sort of Zen perception kind of thing. You sit back, you listen to some great music, you see these amazing patterns traced all over the dome. You just let your eyes relax and you, and the, the colors are just absolutely overwhelming. So it's a really cool experience.
2: What's happening that our eyes, you said they react differently to lasers than different types of lights. What's going on there?
7: Yeah, lasers are are created um, in a different way. Like if you take a a prism and you let sunlight go through it, you get sort of the rainbow of all the colors. Well, lasers only put out one of those colors. It's like the difference between like a a radio station on one frequency and then something that, that broadcasts static over everything. So normal light is like static and lasers are more like one perfect frequency of color. And so our eyes don't quite know what to do with that and our brain sort of sees it in a different way and doesn't doesn't try to interpret it. It doesn't do all of the the crazy things that our brain does to to our image processing, sort of the photoshopping that happens in our brain when we when we look at normal stuff. And so you just see these patterns and these colors and they just they just strike you as very—it's it's really a beautiful experience.
1: Now, some of the other flagship laser shows that you have, I'm just wondering: like, did the fact that we had movies in the last year or so, like Bohemian Rhapsody, A Star Is Born, starring Lady Gaga, you had uh, another music biopic or another music movie just recently, yesterday, which featured the Beatles? I mean, you've got the Beatles, you've got Queen, you've got uh, Lady Gaga. Like, did the movies have anything to do with the musical selections you've gone with?
7: You know, to some degree, we did a survey actually. We ran some shows last year, and we tried a whole bunch of shows, and some of them worked, and some of them were not as popular. So we did a survey uh, in advance this year, and, you know, Pink Floyd is always the number one laser show. It's just, it's a standard for 40 years. But Queen and Lady Gaga both came up very, very high, and I suspect that was because of the of the recent research. It's like Queen, Queen has something going on every couple of years it seems. They're back in the news. Um, and the uh, the Lady Gaga movie probably helped, but her her music just suits lasers so well. Like I I wasn't I wasn't quite sure what to expect. Like I like I like her music, but it's a different style of music from like the classic rock. But man, it works so well with lasers. It is just incredible. Uh, it's probably my favorite show this year. So
2: these are the laser shows that include the music that Brett mentioned, like Beatles and Beatles, Beatles, Queen, Pink Floyd, Lady Gaga, and then of course you have this Apollo 50 event that's coming up next week. Can you tell us a bit about that?
7: Yeah, well, this summer it's the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, the first moon landing, Apollo 11, um, and so we are having a special event on um, the anniversary night, which is Saturday, July the 20th. We're basically having a, a space party down in the planetarium and science gallery. So we'll have uh, we have a planetarium show running now called uh, the Apollo Story, which is all about what it, what the moon landing was like. You basically get to to ride along with uh, Neil and Buzz on that landing. But we also have, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we also have uh, a, a DJ and a bar in the science gallery and we're going to have special presentations on the the moon landings. We've got a display of a bunch of Apollo um, models and we've even got a full-scale um, lunar module selfie station that you can get in and sort of, you know, take a picture with you and Neil Armstrong going to the going to the moon kind of thing. Lots of fun stuff and it's 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 one of our after-hours uh, adult-oriented events, so there'll, there'll be food and, and drinks and things like that. So it's just a, a fun excuse to celebrate space and science and, and look forward to what we're going to be doing in the future. Sadly,
2: one of the things that caught my eye, Brett, was the photo attached to this press release, which is, of course, two people standing there holding drinks, and then I <laughs> scrolled down, yeah. I was like, ooh, there is a cash bar. So in case yeah. you didn't have folks at the moon landing, you got this.
7: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, And that's the thing. I mean, a, a lot of people come to see the museums sort of during regular hours, but there are a lot of folks that would rather, you know, just come later in the evening, grab a glass of wine or something, and just sort of chill out and turn it into more of a social event. It's, It's not all about, you know, education and science and hardcore stuff. That can be the background while you just have, if you've ever gone to a party where there's that really cool person that has all these great stories, we're just trying to be that person. And host the party and then you can come and have that experience here.
1: And you're playing music from the 60s and 70s uh, will people be able to dress up if they want and drink, dress yeah, in costume? You know,
7: we, we are encouraging people to come in costume either in some kind of space costume or you know 1969 was was uh, a certain fashion aesthetic I think that uh, is, would be pretty fun to dress up in so I'm not quite sure what I'm going as yet but uh, I suspect that it might have some hippie kind of uh, clothing involved. Well, if if he, go ahead Laura. Well if he starts watching
2: Str- Stranger Things soon, the season three, I said to Brett Scott that they really inspired me, like some terrible, terrible 80 choices there. Like I just couldn't get over, Like I, I, can't, I can't stop laughing about some of the stuff that we used to think looked good. So.
7: Oh, I know. The 80s were kind to no one in the pictures and things like that. I went back through my yearbook and just just the hair alone was enough to make you laugh, but...
1: Yeah, I had a, you remember Grand Beach Club? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah Do I? Yeah, the, the tie-dye, I don't think, popped up in strange things. But, yeah, I was. Uh, had a very, uh, like a sky blue, Yeah, so did white I. Grand Beach Club sweater. Uh, I always wanted a black and white chip and pepper, but I ended up at the Grand Beach Club, which was okay. It was a good sweater. Okay. But uh, before we let you go here, these so these laser shows, like, uh, are they, the schedule on the website, manitobamuseum.ca, has shows on Friday and Saturday. Is this for the rest of the summer?
7: Yeah, we're running all summer, and uh, the same as uh, most of our activities for the moon landing, we'll run all the way through uh, summer, and we're open seven days a week um, during the day, and then Friday, Saturday nights for lasers. All
1: right, lasers, show us more information at manitobamuseum.ca. Who programs the lasers, by the way, Scott?
7: You know, we bring in a company called LFI, Laser Fantasy International, and they provide... The bases of it, and then we, as uh, whoever the performer is that night, whoever's running the show, does some live performance uh, using the video system that we have to sort of supplement that. So it's kind of like, um, it's it's kind of a live performance as well as uh, pre-recorded.
1: Oh, neat! I got to check it's, this it's out a lot this of year. Fun.
7: And and when the crowd applauds, that drives the person to do even more cool performance mm. stuff. So it's it's really a, an interactive kind of
1: experience all right i'm gonna drag my girlfriend out to the stranger things one and maybe we'll stay for the queen at some point this summer because i didn't get a chance last year and i regretted it for the rest of the year i will rectify that big regret it was a big regret i had so much fun as a kid at the laser shows and i haven't been back since so i got to check it out scott thanks for this appreciate it No problem. Have a good one. You too. Scott Young is the manager of the Planetarium and Science Gallery at the Manitoba Museum. Again, you can get more information on the laser shows at manitobamuseum.ca. Jeff Curry is going to join us in a moment, but before that, we gave away... And qualified, our next contestant for 4 for 4, the grand prize we're giving away on Monday, July 15th, is three rounds of golf and a gift card for 500 bucks for Pinawa Golf Club. But each qualifier also will get a round of golf for four people at Pinawa. Will Reimer, who
0: is today's winner? Our lucky winner today was Jarrett Gray,
4: Jarrett, the Gray. correct
1: answer. Right on, Jarrett Gray. Congratulations. And the question was, What was in what state was the golf course that recently was circulating in the news as having been scorched by lightning? There was a picture of a green that just looks scarred by a lightning blast. It was in Montana. It was Sydney, Montana. So congratulations, Jarrett. We have two more qualifiers for this week and then the grand prize on Monday. Jeff Courier joins us after we check your forecast in three minutes on the start.